Tzadach, we are doing now Sunday's portion of Parshas Vayishlach. So, to give a little update, at the end, as we know of last week's portion, Jacob runs away basically from Lavan, and then Lavan pursues him, wanting to destroy him. As you can see from his words to Jacob, everything's mine, your wife is mine, your kids are mine, your animals are mine, it's all mine, and he wants to take it all back. But God came to Lavan and warned him not to start up. So therefore Lavan didn't do anything harmful. And Lavan returns and Jacob continues until he enters into Israel. He comes to Machanayim, which means camps, named for the camps of angels, the two camps of angels, just as last week's portion begins with angels, with that vision of Jacob of a ladder of the angels, of Israel leaving and of the outside Israel coming now to escort him. Jacob was always surrounded by angels. You could see Jacob had a very hard life following the portion. I mean, the hardship continued. He was 20 years combating the enormous evil of Lovin. He was surrounded constantly by these angels, which, which helped him. And he had the success. He had God's help and a tremendous success. And it still was very, very, very difficult but he was doing something very significant because in being outside Israel for those 20 years, he was doing a different service than Abraham and Isaac. He was working on refining the evil. Abraham and Isaac, they nullified it. They took it away from being, blocking them, being their problem, being an obstruction to their godliness. But Jacob went a step further. He's the paradigm of the Jew. He's out there in the world and it's hard. He's working with the world and it's hard but he's making tremendous changes. He's refining the evil. And that's why when he returns back to Israel, the angels of Israel can go out to greet him because they can venture forth out of Israel because he's changed the atmosphere from his 20 years of work in the house of Lavan, the Jewish story. So now his journey continues, and in this week's portion, a big part of it is devoted to his encounter with his brother Esau. He had to combat the evil of Lavan, and he had to combat the evil of Esau. So, the verse starts. And Jacob sent angels before him to Esau, his brother, to the land of Seir, the field of Edom. Rashi says when it says he sent angels, it means literally angels, meaning I translate it as angels knowing that's what it means. You could translate that word as messengers. I mean, who he sent messengers, but he actually sent literally angels as his messengers to the land of Seir, the way it's written in the Hebrew, there's a hey at the end of the first word, land, Artsah, Seir. Rashi teaches the rule that he actually repeats many times that any word that needs a prefix, Lamed, which is two in the beginning, instead what the scripture can do is put a hey at the end. So Artsah, to the land of, instead of Le'aret, or La'aret, either one. What does the messenger say? He charged them, saying, Thus shall you say to my lord, to Esau, so said your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with love and I have lingered until now. So what message is Jacob here giving Esau? So Rashi says, I have sojourned, Garti, meaning Rashi gives two explanations. First is, I didn't become anything very special there. I didn't become some honorable person. I was a, a sojourner. I was a stranger. So what are you hating me for? You're hating me over the blessings that I got from my father, but we didn't see the blessings fulfilled. I was supposed to become a lord, a master. It wasn't fulfilled. 
So don't worry. And throughout all of these words, we're going to see Rashi follows the same theme of Jacob saying, like, trying to reconcile himself with Asa and saying, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, nothing happened to me. God did glorious blessings and nothing happened, so you have nothing to be jealous over. Another explanation, why does he use this word garti? I traveled, I was a stranger. Because garti is the same numerical value. If you switch around the letters, it's the same word as taryag, 613, meaning to say, I was with the evil, evil Lavan, but I didn't learn from his ways. Taryag, I kept the 613 commandments. Which, if you're following the route of Rashi, that everything is being said here to appease Asaph, the appeasement could be, it's not like the blessings didn't come true because I wasn't holy enough. I really was. And still they didn't come true. So there's nothing for you to be worried and upset and, and angry at me over. Or you could look at this differently in terms of maybe the answer here is saying how, watch out. I have this power. I was with the evil love for 20 years and I kept all the commandments. You know, I'm coming to you seasoned and strong and don't start up. Next verse. I've acquired ox and donkey, flock and servant and maidservants. I'm sending to tell my Lord to find favor in your eyes. So why is Jacob saying this? If we're saying his whole perspective here is he wants to reconcile himself and appease himself to Asa, what, what he's boasting here? The Rashi explains that all of these things were actually things that have nothing to do with the blessings. So Father said to me, Rashi explains, the dew of the heaven, the fatness of the land. I didn't get anything like that. I got cattle and slaves. It doesn't come from the earth and it doesn't, doesn't grow on the earth. It's not coming from the heavens. It's not the blessing. What I have nothing to the blessings. Now, why does it say I have ox and donkey in the singular? He had oxen and donkeys. So Rashi says this is the way of the world. If you're talking about, in Hebrew, if you're talking about many oxen, you say ox or donkey. And on the words, I'm sending them to tell my Lord to inform me that I'm coming to you. And find favor in your eyes to say, I, I'm, I'm seeking your love. I'm well disposed to you. I don't have any grudge against you, even though you tried to kill me and strip me naked. And I have no grudge against you. I just want to speak peace now. On, on a Hasidic dimension, we explained that there's many deep, deep things Jacob was saying. But the bottom line point is, Jacob and Esau were from two different spiritual dimensions. Jacob was from what we call the world of Tikkun, the world of rectification. And Esau was from the world of chaos, the world of Tohu. Asa's world is higher, more powerful, and like raw, unchanneled energy. And Jacob's is more minimized, but controlled. So each one, so to speak, had to refine themselves, and then the ultimate goal will be the fusion of the two. So throughout all these words, what Jacob, the message Jacob is sending to Asa is, I'm ready. And Jacob was sort of assuming, I assume you are too. Meaning, I've been working myself for 20 years. I assume, you know, you look at the mirror and you see yourself. So I see you've all been working. For 20 years, I'm refining yourself. I've been refining myself. Now we're ready to fuse. All the enormous unchanneled lights of Asa fusing with all the bountiful spiritual vessels of Jacob, the two together. My gosh, this is Messiah. This is Messiah. That was Jacob's face when he sent these messengers. But the angels returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother to Asa. Moreover, he's heading toward you and 400 men are with him. So the angels came back and they said, no, no, no. You're not thinking on the most literal level. You're saying you're all at peace with him. He's not at peace with you. Or on the spiritual Kabbalistic level, you're assuming he refined himself the way you refined yourself. I mean, come on, 20 years have passed. He didn't. He didn't change at all. Actually, his whole perspective is he wants to kill you. 
He wants to destroy you and everything you have. So he's in no way ready for this fusion that you assumed he must be ready for because you're ready for it. So Rashi says, if you look at the way this verse is worded, we came to your brother to Asav. Even they should have said, we came to your brother Asav. Why did it separate to your brother to Asav? Rashi says, because you're looking at him like, oh, he's my brother. But he's not looking at you like he's your brother. He's looking at you like he's Asaph. And he still has the same hatred for you. The verse continues, and Jacob became very frightened, and it distressed him. We divide the people with him, the flocks and the cattle and the camels, into two camps. So why does it say he became frightened and distressed? Rashi says for two different reasons. The fright was if he would be killed. The distress was if he would have to kill others. Again, of course, legally, according to Jewish law, if Asaph and his 400 men actually attacked Jacob, which is not what happened, then he would totally be allowed to defend himself and his people, his slaves, his wives, his children, everything. And he would have been allowed to kill Asaph and his men to do so. But he didn't want to do that. He didn't want to kill people. And, of course, he knew how, how much Isaac loved Asaph, so he started to give him back to self. So thinking he might have to fight Asaph and kill him caused him tremendous distress as well, which is why we have these two words. So he's dividing everyone into two camps. Why is he doing this? So the next verse says, and he said, if Asaph comes to one camp and strikes it, then the remaining camp shall be a refuge. The Rashi explains, there's a pretty long Rashi here, but again, it's based on the Hebrew where it says, one camp and camp, the word one is written in the feminine, which means we're viewing camp as a feminine word, which is possible. But then we find other places where camp is in the masculine. And Rashi explains that this is a word that actually functions as both a masculine noun and a feminine noun. And the Rashi gives other examples like fire, like sun, which also function as both a masculine and feminine noun. Of course, in English, it's almost a real language we do. Um, and the remaining camp shall be a refuge, meaning not, that's not what Asaph wants, but this is what I'm planning. So Rosh explains here that Jacob readied himself clearly, and we really learn from this how we're supposed to behave in, in times of trouble. He organized and gave him a tremendous gift to, like, reconcile him and bring out loving feelings from him. He prayed, and he readied himself for war, as we're going to see, or Rosh explains, he, he gives enormous, enormous gift. If you were calculating the money, it was a tremendous amount of money of the animals and animals and animals he gifted Asa with. He prayed. We're going to see he's praying now. And he readied himself for war, and that's why he split the people into two camps, because we're going to fight. We're going to fight. So we see from this that he has to do everything, meaning, of course, we know the real solution and salvation is turning to God which is what Jacob did by prayer. And we also know that God wants us to work in this world. And in this type of situation, which probably isn't the one we deal with, but you have to go on both levels. On one hand, you're trying to reconcile. You're not looking for war. So that's going to be your go-to point. But at the same time, if you need to, you need to. You have to prepare for it. So it's explained this idea. Of course, everything, everything, everything that happens in the lives of our forefathers, our patriarchs and matriarchs, really is impacting us and trickling down to our world. So this idea of Jacob splitting the camps, we're actually told, impacted all the future history of the Jewish people because whenever there was a time when there was a place in the world that was decimating its Jews, as we've experienced for most of the past 1900 years of our history, there always was some place in the world that was safe. Always. 
even in most recent times during the Holocaust. There were some safe areas in America, South America. There were some safe areas because God always is going to leave that camp that's the refuge, which always guarantees the eternal survival of the Jewish people on a physical level. That there always is going to be that camp that's the refuge. As here, Jacob is organizing his camp. Now, of course, Jacob's situation never came to war because through the prayers and through the blessings of God and through this enormous present which both mollified Asaph and also scared him because he saw of his power and of all these angels that would have attacked him but didn't because of Jacob, all of these things ultimately drew out from Asaph really a brotherly love for Jacob. And at that moment when they met, all of his brotherly love emerged and he really did love Jacob. I don't know how many minutes it lasted after they separated, but during the time when he met him, he was completely feeling his brotherly love for Jacob, which, of course, is tribute to Jacob's enormous spiritual energy that, as I said earlier, Jacob's job, unlike Abraham and Isaac, they negated the evil. His job was to refine it. So we see he even had the power on a certain level to impact Esau as well with enormous spiritual energies. So that's why as we will go, the portion, of course, continues.